Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'ur Torah. There is nobody in the world that can give you anything or take anything away from you. We believe with a full belief that Hashem is the only one that's in control. And anything that happens in this world is absolutely and only by His will. And therefore, what belongs to you is yours. And what doesn't belong to you, no matter how much you try to get it, no matter how much people might try to give it to you, at the end, it'll never be yours. Because Hashem runs the world, and there's no one that can help you other than Him. And therefore, when it comes to this very sensitive topic of matchmaking, Shiduchim, Zivugim, how many times we find that people, out of desperate measures, they go to reach out, thinking that it's the Shadchanim that's going to do it. Maybe this Shadchanit, maybe this Shadchan, maybe this Rabbi, they're the ones that are going to bring the Nasib, they're the ones that are going to bring the Zivug. And it turns out time and time again that the more we start putting our faith into people, the less our faith in Hashem comes forward. But that is the only thing that can bring about a true Yeshua. And this is not just true when it comes to Zivugim. This is true when it comes to anything. Abraham Avinu is about to ask Eliezer to go out on a mission to bring forward the future mother of Klal Yisrael, the wife of Yitzchak Avinu. And he tells him, I do not want you to take a wife from the Benot Kena'an. I want you only to go back home to my, my hometown and bring someone from my family. Eliezer agrees. But then Eliezer turns around and says to Abraham, Abraham, but what happens if I don't find a girl there? Or what happens if I do find the girl in your family at home? But she doesn't want to come with me. So then what do I do? Should I then go and get plan B? Should I go and get a wife from the daughters of Canaan? Answers Abraham Avinu. Hishamer lecha. Watch yourself. That's a strong word. Watch yourself. What exactly was he telling him? Do you know what he was telling him, ladies? He was telling him, Eliezer, not just watch yourself, not to bring a wife for Yitzchak from the Benot Kenan. Hishamer lecha. Watch yourself. I can see that you're starting to make your own calculations. You're starting to make your own cheshbonot. The minute you start making your own calculations, the minute you start thinking that you're going to control the situation, that you're going to come up with a greater idea, that you're going to figure out a way to make things work for you as if you had something to do with it. The minute you start making these calculations, that's the moment you took your eye off of the only one that can really help you. Hishamer lecha. Watch yourself. Don't start making those calculations. Stop believing in other people. 
stop believing that it's this one that's going to bring you the Shidduch. Or maybe it's that wedding that she's going to march at. Oh, over there someone might spot her. And that's where the Shidduch is going to come from. Or if I can only get a hold of this rabbi or that Shadchan, that's when the Shidduch is going to come by. Or maybe, maybe if I start dressing her differently. Maybe then she'll start turning heads. That's where the Shidduch is going to come from. And little by little, although we don't mean to, and our intentions are good, because all we want is that our sons and our daughters should be able to find the right Zivug and get married. That's all we want. But in the process of wanting this, we start making the calculations and the cheshbonot that Abraham Avinu told us, Watch yourself. Be very careful. Remember who's the only one in control. Remember who is the one that brings the zivug. And remember that nobody else in the world can help you other than Hashem. And the problem is that if we do start believing in other people, and we do start believing in other forces, and we think that it's someone else that's going to bring us to Zivug, Hashem says, Really? You think it's this person that's going to bring Zivug for you? You think it's that dress that's going to bring the Zivug for you? You think it's the marching at this wedding that that's going to suddenly open up the eyes of the community to your daughter? If that's the case, then I'll step out. And let's see where that gets you. Or better yet, let's see who that gets you. Let's see what type of a person is brought about to you, if it's a proper match or not. You see, because you have to understand something. When Hashem comes to bring a match to a young boy or a young girl, the match that Hashem is bringing you is not just someone that is matched up to you today. Hashem knows who, who, what type of person you're going to be in five years from now. Hashem knows the type of person you're going to be in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now. When Hashem brings you a match, it's not just to match you today, but it's also to match you of the person you're going to be in five years, 10 years, and 20 years. It's a perfect match. Nobody in the world could possibly bring you a zivug like that. At best... Someone can try to match you up of the person you appear to be today, but they can't tell you who you're going to be tomorrow. They're not going to tell you who you're going to be in 10 years from now. So why would you want to abandon Bore Olam, the one and the only one that can bring you the true Zivug today, tomorrow, and in 20 years from now, and instead to say, Bore Olam, Inshallah, thank you, but no thank you. Don't call us, we'll call you. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to dress my way. I'm going to compromise on my religion at times. To go into the streets in a way that about Israel should never be found in public. I'm going to go to weddings to do things to attract the eyes of men so that people will know I'm out there and I'm eligible. Really? You think those Averot are going to get you somebody good? You think that that style of dating is going to bring something good? Do you think when you start to compromise the way you show yourself in public, suddenly it's going to draw the eyes of whom? Whose eyes is going to be drawn to that? To the type of person 
that's looking for those type of girls. The guy that runs after his eyes. So today his eyes are running to you, but tomorrow where is his eyes going to run to? Ladies, forgive me for talking this way. But you're not sitting on my side of the table. You're not getting the phone calls that I get. You don't hear these heartbreak breaking stories of couples a year or two into marriage. Where husband and wife comes and they're only married for a year. They're only one kid down the line. They're young, young couple with a little baby. And they come in crying. Rabbi, this is not the guy I married. Rabbi, this is not the girl I married. Really? It's only been 12 months. What happened? What could have went wrong? And then suddenly you start hearing these horrible stories of back and forth. And then little by little you start to get the picture of what really happened here. And suddenly you get it. Where did the two of you meet? Oh, Rabbi, I'll tell you. I walked into 7-Eleven. And there, peering over towards the slush machine, from the corner of my eye, there she stood. And it was that moment that I knew, at first sight, that I met the girl that I'm going to marry. And you want to jump on the guy and say, would you wake up out of the stupid Hollywood movie that you think you're living? And come back to her, no, Rabbi, at that moment I heard the music in my mind. And I knew immediately that that is going to be the girl I'm going to marry. Really? How is that possible? You know nothing about the girl. You don't even know her name. And vice versa went true for the boy as well. You turned to the girl, you didn't even know the guy. And at the end of the story, it always comes back the same. He fell for an image and she fell for a wallet. And they came together in marriage because she looked like the image that he was looking for. And he, on the other hand, provided a stability that she was looking for, thinking that that's going to bring her happiness. And then suddenly, these two get married. And then a year down the line, one day he turns around and he sees that pregnancy might have done to his wife what she doesn't look as the same girl as by the slush machine. And he wakes up and he says, wait, that's not the girl I married. And something scary takes place, where now he actually has to meet the real girl behind the skin. He might have to actually meet the real person and the real personality, but they're married already. Isn't that frightening? To wake up and meet the person you actually married a year or two into marriage for the first time? Do you know that people make fun of other communities when they hear that a boy and girl met one time and then they went to marriage and they start yelling and screaming and laughing at them. Ah, look at these people. They're getting married. They don't even know each other. You know each other? You think you know each other? What do you know? You fell in love with a rapper. She fell in love with three cell phone stores. What do you know? What did you see? You never met the person you married. You fell for an image. And then finally when time comes for real, and suddenly they have to really meet the real person, it's scary. 
What happens if we're not compatible? What happens if our personalities don't jive? Sure enough, how many stories come to the rabbis? And ladies, I can't tell you enough. The rules for dating in halacha was not there to rain on anybody's parade. The rules were put there to protect you, not to hurt you. And the same thing is true in marriage. Once the purity laws set into a husband and wife, don't break those laws. You're not hurting anyone but yourself. You're only taking away from the glory and the beauty of what it could be. And you think you're cutting corners. And you think you're beating the system. But at the end, oi, at the end, how many couples? And I've spoken, I teach in a high school. Believe me, once upon a time, Rebbe's didn't talk about this stuff in class. We had much bigger and better things to spend time with. Today, if we don't talk about it, chas v'shalom, who knows? And we explain to young men and women who are dating, don't break the rules. Because the minute that relationship goes physical, it's the minute that no longer can you think or see clear. Because suddenly you're emotionally attached. Suddenly the physical takes over and you can't see two inches in front of your own nose. How many of us know people that have been dating people over the years and somehow or other everybody around that person knew it was a really bad idea who they were dating except for the person themselves. And, and you know, it's amazing. The best friends and the mother and the father and the sister and the brother and the candlestick maker and they all come and they talk to a girl and they say, hello, how can you date this guy? Don't you know? You know his past, you know who he is, you know what type of guy he is. He's this and he's that and he's all around and he's that, I don't want to say in a shul and so on and so forth. Open your eyes. And then comes the answer, no. You don't know him the way I know him. Oy vey. And you want to walk up to the girl and shake her up and wake her up and say, Come on, snap out of it! And the same thing's with the boys. You want to walk up to the guy and smack him in the face five times and say, Come on, snap out of it! You're under a trance. You're not seeing straight. That's what happens when people break the rules. The moment you break the rules and the relationship goes physical, that's the moment you can't think straight anymore. You can't see straight anymore. You're emotionally attached. You don't see things from the way they are. And that's very scary. Because then they're going into marriage on a false premise. He's going into marriage on an image that he fell in lust for. And she's going into marriage for a certain stability. We'll just leave it at that. And then when the time comes, a year or two into marriage, and now suddenly after a baby or two, the looks might start changing, the relationship starts changing, all of a sudden, the rabbi gets the phone call. Rabbi, this isn't the guy I married. He never used to treat me like this. Well, the guy comes in, Rabbi, this isn't the girl I married. She has no respect for me. And you look at the two of them and you tell them, you're both right. You never met the person you married because you broke the rules. Because you thought you were going to control the zivug. Thought you thought you were going to control the situation. You forgot that there was a Borei Olam who wanted to give you a perfect zivug for you. 
But if you break God's rules and throw them out of the relationship, how do you expect them to help you? Now let me tell you where this begins. I don't generally come off this strong in the beginning of a speech. But ladies, I have to be open with you. I cry for the so many young ladies and men in the community that are waiting to find their zivug and everyone wants to know what's going wrong. Our system is broken. Let me explain to you where I'm coming from. And maybe we can get to an answer of where we should be going to. It goes something like this. Abraham Avinu, he tells Eliezer that I, I want you to go and find a, a wife for my son Yitzchak. And then he makes him swear. He makes him swear by Elokei HaShamayim Elokei HaAretz. What does that mean? Elokei HaShamayim, the God that's the God of heaven. Elokei HaAretz, the God that's the God of earth. Isn't it the same God? Of course. Tashem, who's both Shamayim Va'aretz. Says the Eben Ezra something fantastic. Says the Eben Ezra. Do you know what he meant? He meant the secret of Shiduchim. The secret to a Zivug. And what is that? Says the Eben Ezra. Elokea Shamayim. He told them to swear by the God of heaven. Because in heaven is where the union of the neshamot of man and wife first meet. And now on earth, the marriage is consummated in real time. That's actually where they get married. That's where they actually build a home. Says Ibn Ezra. That's why he told them to swear. Where the zivug is made. God calls out, this girl and this boy are going to be married. And that's where God makes it happen. The marriage that's consummated on earth. Says the Ibn Ezra, this is a sod. It's a secret. Ladies, I want to ask you something. If I didn't tell you this Ibn Ezra, you wouldn't have known what I just said. You knew it already. So what's the secret? What's the big secret of the Ibn Ezra regarding Shiduchim? But says Eben Ezra, this is a big secret. Really? What is it? I'd like to tell you that there's a tremendous secret here. We just don't get it. But I'd like to ask you one more question. I think everybody here knows the famous Gemaran Sota that says, Kashin Zivugan Kikriyat Yamsuf. Zivugan, Zivug, is such a delicate process of putting people together properly, that it is as incredible as when it came to the splitting of the sea, Kriyat Yamsuf. Asks the great Maharal, what is the Mashal? What is the example to Shiruchim? Kriyat Yamsuf? Kriyat Yamsuf is just the opposite, says the Maharal. Think about it. Kriyat Yamsuf was that we had this ocean of water. It was one body of water, and Hashem came along and split it into two. Zivugim, Shiduchim is the opposite, no? I have two separate individuals that we're bringing together to mesh as one. So, the last illustration, the last example you'd want to bring for marriage is Kriyat Yamsuf. Kriyat Yamsuf means to rip something apart. In marriage, we're trying to put something together. So 
So how exactly does the Gemara say that Shiduchim, Zivugim is like Kriyat Yamsuf? No, it's not. It's the opposite. So asks the Maharal. The answer to this, ladies, and to the original question we asked, is going to be the great Sod and the secret of the Ibn Ezra of Shiduchim. Open your hearts and listen to this. Writes the Maharal, and the Zohar HaKadosh says this as well in last week's parasha. I'm going to tell you now how every zivug works. In Shamayim, there is a bank of neshamot. A neshama in heaven is neither a boy or a girl. It's only neshamot. Writes the Zohar HaKadosh, Hashem takes a neshama and He breaks the neshama in half, into two halves. One half, he calls it Zachar, a boy. The other half of that same neshama, he calls it Nekeva, a girl. And then he sends down to earth both halves to different families. And now these two halves have to go and find each other and come back together and make a whole neshama again. He sends down these two halves to different families, sometimes to different sides of the world, to different countries. Well, they could even be neighbors for all we know. But he sends down these two halves. And suddenly the game of hide-and-go-seek starts. And little do you know how one half can walk into the grocery while the other half walks right out, and they walk right past each other, and no one would know. The irony of the concept. But says Zohar HaKadosh, this is the way the Zivuk system works. And it's because of this, you know, I tell you the honest truth. I wish that someone could create a GPS system for Zivugim. You come down and, you know, you just put in Zivugami T and it tells you, you know, 2.3 miles. And then you start walking to the corner and it says, you know, in 500 feet, make a right. And then you go down to Ocean Parkway, make a left, and your heart starts racing. Ooh, maybe they live in Ocean Parkway. I might have scored big, you know. And then you go another two blocks, and then finally you hear the voice. You have, fun. You have now reached your destination. And you knock on the door and your heart is beating just to see, oh my gosh, I'm about to meet my other half. But they don't have this GPS system yet. Not yet. Or maybe they do. There is a GPS system for Shiduchim. There is a force that's able to bring these two lost, separated halves together yet again as one. And that is Hashem. Nobody else. Says Bore Olam, if you would like me to help you to find your other half, I will guide your steps one block at a time. And I will make a situation. I will make it happen in a way that it looks so teva, so normal. But at the end of your story, it's going to be so not. And how many amazing stories we've heard of people that Hashem literally turned the world upside down and manipulated so many things just to bring two halves together yet again as one. Just for them to meet. That's the beauty of the truth of Shiduchim. Now I'm going to give you a very special point. But Rabbi, I heard that Shalom, somebody could lose their zivuk. I heard, Rabbi, I heard from classes, from other rabbis, from teachers, from seminary, that the Gemara says, zivuk rishon, 
That's the zivug of destiny. Zivug sheni, that's the zivug that's according to your actions. If you're a good person, then you get somebody good. If you're a bad person, you get somebody bad. Rabbi, according to what you're saying, two halves are out there looking to meet each other. Hashem's going to help them come together. That's what He destined and called out in heaven before they were born. If this is the case... So how is it possible? Is it true? Can somebody really shalom, lose their zivug? And I'll tell you the answer. Zivug Rishon in depth is the first union of these two halves while it was in the Shama in heaven. At that time in Shamaim, it was one zivug, one Shama, zivug Rishon. Encounter number one took place in heaven. Then Hashem split them in half. Hashem sent them down to earth. Now is encounter number two, Zivug Sheni. If your Maasim are good, and you turn to Hashem for direction, and you say, Hashem, I'm following you and nobody else. I'm putting my Bitachon Emuna in you. Not in Shadchanim, not in some uncle in the family who thinks he knows better than everybody, not in marching by weddings, not in compromising on the way the dresses that we wear. None of that. I'm putting it in you, Hashem. If the Ma'asim are good and I'm praying to you, then Hashem says, if you're relying on me to put the two halves together, then I'll put them together. However, if your Ma'asim are against God, then how do you expect these two halves to meet? When you walk to the corner, Hashem is saying, turn right. But this person decides they're doing things their way. So they end up turning left. How do you ever expect to meet the other half? You're not listening to the system. You're not following the GPS. And that's why, says the Gemara, on round two on earth, when we finally come to make that encounter, if your ma'asim are with God, you're praying. Help me to find Him. Hashem will make the world upside down to bring these two halves back together, yet union number two, round two. And now the Zivug Sheni will mimic exactly the Zivug Rishon of the way it was in heaven. They started out as one Nishama, two halves to a whole. And now yet again on earth, they're reunited on round two as two halves of a whole. Because you are Ma'asim were with God. So we help the two halves find each other. But if you think you're going to do it your way, and if you think that the whole concept about Zivug is if he's going to drop a mink on the swanny table, and that makes it a good guy, and that's all you're looking for, and you say, Inshallah, Borei Olam, I'll see you next year, Kippur, but now I'm going to do it my way, says Borei Olam, then you're on your own. Good luck trying to find your other half. You could have walked by him 20 times. And you never knew it. He could have been right under your nose. I could tell you a thousand stories. Right under your nose. But if you don't have divine inspiration, opening your eyes to the truth of who you're supposed to be reaching out for, who knows where a person could end up. Has v'shalom. And that's why the parasha used so many psukim. Just to illustrate the story of Shiduchim. Why? Because the story of Shiduchim, in truth, is really the platform for Emunah and Bitachon in Hashem in every area in life. You're in control 
Nobody else. My other half is out there. And it belongs to me. What belongs to you, nobody can take away from you. And what doesn't belong to you, no one can give you. But you have to believe that there's a great mastermind controlling everything and only he is in control and no one else. And if this is the case, I think now we understand why Shiduchim is compared to Kriyat Yamsuf. Because now it's all brilliant. Just like the Neshama in heaven that started as one was split in half, brought down to earth, and now they have to find each other to make themselves one again. So to Kriyat Yamsuf, there was one body of water, and yet it was split in half, and then after that, it was put back together as one. So too in the Zivuk, those two halves in the Shama, they find each other and they become one. I need to ask forgiveness again if I've been speaking too strong. But it's just really painful to watch so many people in pain. And I wish if we would get this message a little bit better I think so many people would be so much more successful in finding not just their zivug, but finding their real GPS of life. And suddenly the emunah will go into Hashem and nobody else, and they'll get places. Places that they've been longing for their whole lifetime. Wondering, why aren't I getting there? And the answer is, you've been running to everybody but who you're supposed to. Hashem says, Anir Hishon, Vani Aharon. Everybody starts with God. Anir Hishon. I'm always the first in everyone's list. Everyone says in the beginning that they start a marriage. Bezat Hashem, Bezat Hashem, Bezat Hashem. They start a business. Inshallah, Bezat Hashem, Bezat. They put up a zuzah on the door. Oh, Bezat Hashem. We always start with God. And then we hit that first snake, that first bump in the road, that first challenge. And all of a sudden we start running to cut every corner in the book. And we start twisting and turning things and doing it our way. Thinking that we're going to control the situation. Thinking it's going to be our lawyers that are going to save us. It's our connections that are going to save us. It's our savvy, our salesmanship. It's our ability to speak, our looks. It's going to be whatever we think we can control the situation and the outcome that we want. And then it blows up in our face every time. Every single time. And then finally, we realize that nobody out there that we thought would help us is helping. And we start running out of people to run to. And then finally, finally, guess who we come back to at the end? We come into shul with tears. Hashem, help me! And says, Bore Olam, oh, look who's here. Ani Rishon, Vani Aharon, you started with me first, and you always come back to me last. Because in the interim, you found out how the whole world who you thought can help you can't do a thing for you. And only Bore Olam is the only one that can do and no one else. I remember many years ago, two blocks away from the block where I grew up on my parents, with my parents in the Avenue L area, there was a friend of mine. You know, it's funny how he mentioned that there was a particular girl, a neighbor on the block, that he always thought and hoped that maybe one day as they grew up, he would be able to get to know better. And it was someone who he was very impressed with. And he thought that one day he can date her. 
somehow or other, in his mind, he thought he was going to be the best guy in the world for her. I don't know exactly why or how, but somehow or other, she was the complete opposite in the opinion of the two of them getting married. One day they actually had the conversation as they were later on in their years of teens. And he actually broached it to her and he said to her, what do you think? I'm going to be going to Israel to learn for a year or two. And when I come back, what do you think about us dating? And she turned to him, and very sweetly, but maybe a little bit cold. And she claimed she did this because she wanted to let him know that he shouldn't get his hopes up. She basically said to him in uncertain terms, even if you were the last guy in the world, I would never marry you. Now that's pretty sharp. I guess a little bit rough. But I, she claims that she said it that strong because she didn't want to give him what they call false hope. He really took a burn on that one. For years, in the back of his mind, he was hoping and calculating, maybe ulai va ulai. But at the end, she shut that down really fast. And that was it. He went to Israel. A year later, she went to Israel to seminary. And everybody went on with their lives. I don't know if you remember this, ladies. I do, because I happen to have been learning in Eretz Yisrael at this time. But um, one particular year, some good many years ago, on Cholamo Et Sukkot, there's a beautiful thing that goes on by the Kotel. It's called Berkat Koanim on the Moed, where literally, I'm talking about 20, 30,000 people come from all over Israel just to the Kotel, to this unbelievable, huge Berkat Kohanim. I mean, the Kohanim themselves, you have about 1,000 Kohanim. And then the crowds of people, and the moment the Berkat Kohanim starts, it's silence. And they have these huge Ramkolim, they have these huge uh, speaker systems with a microphone, and they make one minyan for Musaf. Shachrit, you have about 150 minyanim. Ashkenazi, Svaradi, Temani, you name it. All of a sudden, Musaf, everybody comes together under one minyan. They do this the second day of Chola Moed, Sukkot, and Pesach. Twice a year to make a massive Birkat Kohanim for 20, 30,000 people. And this is a sight to see. If you're in Israel, Sukkot, the Pesach, this is a must go. This is a wow. I was there that year. One year, the, uh, the Arab Mufti was uh, obviously in the mosque on the other side of the wall. And he was giving a sermon. He was giving a dirashah. And in the middle of his speech, he started telling all the Arabs, if you go out right now and you peer over the wall, you'll see 30,000 Jews. And you know why they're out there? They're ready to come charging into your homes to throw you off the mountaintop. And they're ready to take back the entire Harabayit. And they're going to burn a mosque there. And he starts telling them these horrible things. And these guys actually believed him. And when they heard this, he didn't even get to finish his speech. All the Arabs went running out of the mosque, screaming, yelling for blood. And they started picking up rocks and stones, and they were throwing rocks over the Kotel by the thousands. And it was raining rocks. It was literally a storm of rocks. As the rocks came down on the concrete on the other side of the Kotel, it sounded like gunshots. I was there at the time. I was there with my younger brother, my sister. We were all, I was learning there. They came to visit. Everyone ran for their lives. It was a miracle. It was a nest. How, think about it. In Milo Birkat Koanim, you have a thousand Koanim under Talitot. 
and suddenly rocks come pouring down. How it happened, a miracle from Hashem. How not one person got hit in the head is, is a ness. But everybody ran. And in moments, the Kotel was cleared. In moments, the, the army, the guards came running down out of where they came from, out of nowhere, and they started literally grabbing people and pushing them out. And some people who were inside further towards the wall that it was hard for them to run, what the, what the guards actually did was they kept them pinned up against the wall. And they moved them along the wall all the way till the end of the Kotel where you have that tunnel on the inside of the Kotel to get them on the inside so like this they'll have a roof over their head and nothing can come down on them. So they were stuffing in that tunnel a bunch of men and ladies and anyone that was left up against the wall. And there they are looking out watching the rain of rocks come down. And my friend was one of those guys. He is a Kohen. He was up against the wall. He was pushed against the wall and he was stuffed into the tunnel and he's standing there. And as he's standing there, he turns around and who's standing right next to him? This girl, his neighbor. And he looks at her and she looks at him and they look outside and they see the raining of rocks. There's nowhere to go and they're stuck there and they don't know what's going to be now. It looks like the sky is falling and the world is about to end. And at that minute, he turns to her and he looks her in the eyes and he says, I think right now I'm the last guy left in the entire world. And she burst out laughing and she says, I think Hashem is talking to me. I'll date you when we go home. Recently, I got a call only two months ago that they were making Brit Milan for their fourth son, Blain Hara. Married for a good few years, Blain Hara, with a beautiful family. Listen to me. If you believe that Hashem is in control and nobody else can bring you the Zivug, leave it up to Him to bring those two halves together. He has ways that you could never imagine. That believe me when I tell you, none of our cheshbonot, none of our calculations, none of our bright ideas and our great family advice can possibly bring as the way Hashem brings two halves together as a whole. But Hashem wants to know one thing. Are you following me? Or are you following yourself? You follow Borei Olam, there's that GPS that's going to bring you to your final destination. He's going to bring you that perfect other half. But if you want to do it your way and make your rules and do it the style and the ways you want, compromising religion, compromising your integrity, compromising your tzini'ut, compromising your self-worth in the eyes of your spouse, then Hashem says, if that's the case, no matter how many times I tell you, when you get to the corner, turn right, He might be right down the block. You're going to go and turn left. So how am I going to guide these two halves to a hole? This is the secret of it all. The secret is how much do you really believe? How much emunah do we have in Hashem that He's in control? And that what belongs to you, no one can take away from you. It's your other half. It can't fit with anybody else. Hashem wouldn't want to give Him to anyone else. He doesn't fit. It's like using a key into a door that it doesn't fit. You can twist and turn. It's not going to open the lock. It's not happening. He's yours. And to the guys I scream, she's yours. 
Stop breaking the rules. Go back to what we know is right. Let's go with Borei Olam. No more compromises on religion. No more compromises on Sini'ut. Emuna and Bitachon in Hashem. And let him bring those two zivu, these two halves, back to be one perfect whole neshama. The Khatam Sofer says something fantastic. How do you know if you got your zivug or not? Not everybody wants to hear the answer to this. <laughs> By now that they start walking out on the speech, don't worry, it's a great answer. Everybody got their zivug amiti. Everyone in this room without a question. And those who are dating, I give you a biracha. Listen to this class. It might not have been the most eloquent of classes. And this is not the typical maybe Rabbi Dubi class. I agree with you. I was a little bit uh, pushy today. And I, forgive me for that. But sometimes when something hurts, you got to scream. And it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Ah, what can I tell you? It hurts. But for those who are looking for Shiduchim or have daughters or sons, looking for Hashem should send them the Zivug Amiti Bikarov. And those two halves should be brought together. And believe me, I want to tell you, when those two halves meet each other, it's literally like two friends who come back together after a long time of not seeing each other. And they literally just look at, they don't even have to talk. They look at each other as if to say, I know you from somewhere. I feel like I knew you forever. You thought that that was one of those uh, fancy lines, right, in the novels. No, but there was truth to that line. I feel like I knew you forever. Yeah, you didn't know him forever. You started out with him in Shamayim as one. And then you were broken apart, Kriyat Yamsuf. You were sent down to earth. And then you were brought back together as one. I mean, that's the beauty of this whole concept. So let me tell you the Khatam Sofer. He writes, the secret to find out if you met your Zivug Amiti is in this week's parasha in Eliezer himself. Eliezer knew the genius behind how Zivugim work. And you know how he knew this? He learned it like he learned everything from his Rebbe, from his master Abraham Avinu. The Gemara Bamitzia tells us that the greatest of couples that ever lived, the couple that you want to emulate, was Abraham and Sarah. But the Gemara also says an eye opener. The Gemara says that Sarah Imenu was a greater tzaddiket than Abraham was a tzaddik. The Gemara also says that Abraham was a greater Balchesed than Sarah Imenu was. Each one had their strength. Each one had their quality. She was Tzadiket. Tzadik is Tzedek, Yashar. She was Din. Abraham was the opposite of her. He was Chesed. He was Rahamim. Two perfect opposites coming together to complete each other as one perfect entity. That's a Zivug Amiti. Eliezer knew the secret of what a Zivug Amiti is supposed to be. Two opposites. And I get this all the time. Rabbi, should I be looking for a guy that's just like me? Or should I be looking for a guy who's the opposite of me? Well, I think you got your answer. I was once a Shabbat. When I was a Bachur, I was invited over to a family in Israel. 
and you know those Shabbatot you really look forward to because you don't, you don't eat in yeshiva all week. So you finally get out Shabbat and you come to that and that's the way guys, they, they, they literally pair off numbers. This place has sick food, that place has sick food. It's only about the food. They don't, you, it's literally, you don't know who the people are. Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom, I'm starving. You know, and you literally come into the people and I came into a couple that I heard, a newly married couple. They were only married for a few months. I walked in right away. I saw it. Okay, fine. And then finally, when we sit down at the table, when, when, when the meal started, so he sings Shalom Aleichem. And then he sings to her Eshet Chayil. And you know, I thought he was going to get down on one knee and sing it. And then finally, after the Eshet Chayil, he comes to the meal. And you know, she's smiling at him. And, he's, and he says, starts telling her, complimenting her on the food. I said, that's so cute. Just bring the food. And, then, and, and, and the meal is moving on. One thing, ladies, I want to tell you, it's crazy. This guy looks up, and suddenly his wife reaches for the salt and hands it to him. I said, whoa. <laughs> and then she looks up, and he jumps up and grabs a napkin and hands it to her. I felt like I was the net in a volleyball game. I literally was watching the telepathic waves going back and forth between these two. These two are like brother and sister. They were mamash netipotmaim. They were exactly alike, these two. Forgive me, they looked alike. They looked like brother and sister. I was very wugged out. It was the most boring meal I've ever eaten at in my entire life. It was nothing to talk about. He knew what she was thinking. She knew what he was thinking. Chalas! <laughs> the meal is over. Hazaku baruch, Kaddish. You know, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Come to my house. Ha ha! Plates are flying. Pots are breaking. I mean, this Lebedict is a life. That's a zivug. Eliezer knew the secret. He saw Abraham and Sarah, two perfect opposites, and that's why they were so perfect together. They completed each other as two halves to a whole. So you know what he did, Eliezer? Genius. Look what he did. He knew that he's bringing a wife for Yitzchak. Yitzchak is givurah. Yitzchak is din. So if Yitzchak is judgment, din, then what does his wife have to be? Chesed mercy. That's the way they go perfectly together. So what does Eliezer say? Hashem, the first girl that comes and offers me chesed to drink and for my gimalim, that has to be the perfect zivug for Yitzchak because she's the perfect opposite. But together there'll be a perfect match. Two halves that will make a whole. And it makes sense now. Because if Hashem took one nishama in heaven and cracked it in half, that means one half took certain characteristics and the other half took other characteristics. That means one half doesn't have what the other half has and the other half doesn't have what the first half has. It can't be because they were two halves of a whole. So if husband and wife are perfectly exactly the same, then something is interesting here. What's the zivugamiti? Two halves of a whole. Perfect opposites. If you would have came to my dorm room in yeshiva, you would have needed a gas mask to enter. You come to my house now, and you can eat off of the floors. Because my wife, when my, all my guys came over Shabbaton and Lakewood, they walked into the house, they stopped. They looked around, they said, Rabbi, is this a house or a museum? And then when they went upstairs and they opened the utility closet and they saw that the shampoos were color-coordinated and lined up and they saw the towels were lined up, they said to me, Rabbi, I think you live in Dwayne Reed. Everything had, I mean, it was unbelievable. But I needed that. 
Did I know that I was going to be traveling 15 years from Lakewood to Brooklyn? Do you know what type of an organized genius you got to be to run a system like that with kids? Every Shabbat suitcases, you know exactly where every sock is and where every deodorant is. And there's a Shabbat outfit in Brooklyn and there are weekday outfits in, in, in Lakewood. And then when the winter comes, there's a change of guard, there's a change of clothing. And then she knows what's in this closet. And there was never one week in 15 years that any of my kids ever had a situation where they ran out of a sock or underwear or undershirts or anything. She has it down to a science. If that was me, if I married me, I would have spent half of the Shabbatot on the Garden State Parkway. I wouldn't have made it to Brooklyn. And my kids would walk around like a bad advertisement of Benetton. Hear what I'm telling you. This is a Zivug Amiti. If you find your husbands to be the opposite of you, Baruch Hashem Shezachitem. This is what the Chatam Sofer is writing. Let's look for those Midot. I just want to close and tell you. There was a guy that got engaged to a wonderful girl. They got married. And, you know, it hurts me to say. But like many, and I think some of us could actually uh, identify with this. The boy's mother thought that really he could have done better. And you know, every now and then, mother-in-laws do their thing, and they voice it to their son. You know, if you would have listened to me and went out with, uh, you could have done better. But okay, that's just the way of life. And then the Shebrachot came. And one night, the first night of Shebrachot, the Chatan Kala comes to the house, and everyone starts clapping and singing. And the girl goes up to the sink, and she takes off her rings to wash. After a few minutes, she comes back to the table. She makes hamotzi. She looks down. Her rings are gone. Her engagement ring, her diamond, is gone. Or like in Brooklyn, they say it was gone. It was just gone. And she breaks out into hysteria. And she turns to her husband. Do you have my rings? I have your rings. He starts checking his pocket. No. They go into the kitchen. This is Milosh Ebrachot. They go into the kitchen. They start looking under the sink, on the side of the sink. They call a plumber to take apart the sink. They were looking, maybe went down the drain. They looked into the garbage. They, uh, 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 you know, turned over every garbage. They went to the garbage bags. They... Instead of a Sherebrachot, the people sitting by table and eating, you had 25 people on their hands and knees in the kitchen looking through. It was looked like Bidikat Hametz on a good day. If they were going through every morsel of that kitchen, every appliance, they walked through her steps back and forth. They went outside to the garden. Maybe she dropped it on the way into the house. And you know how your mind starts playing games. I scratched my finger in the car on the way to the... And then they start looking in the car gone. They look for two hours, all the guests, everybody. All the king's horses and all the king's men, but that ring has not been found again, and it was gone. And now the boy's mother comes to him and says to him, what type of a dummy, I'm not going to tell you what she said. This is it. If you would have listened to me, she can't even hold on to her ring. For two minutes, she already lost the ring. What type of uh, earhead did you marry? And she's killing the poor girl. And he's, you know, he, he doesn't know what to say. And of course, word always goes back to the girl somehow. 
And now she's furious, and mother and daughter-in-law are not talking, and she doesn't want to show her face again in public, and she doesn't want to come to the next Shabrachot. She's too embarrassed to show her face to the family members because now she's the girl who lost the ring. But he begged her and pleaded with her, and she came the next night, the night after that, but she just kept to herself, and you know, the nights that she was supposed to feel like a queen, because she, she didn't even feel like a regular person. The last night of Shabrachot, he turns to his wife and says, oh, it's our last night, you know, it's our special, it's our, this is our last night, that's it. By midnight tonight, we turn back to pumpkins, you know, we, we, gotta, we gotta make this real, you know. So he says, I'm putting on, you know, my, my special suit. He puts on his suit, and as he's putting on his suit, he reaches into a pocket, and he pulls out the engagement ring. And he looks down. And he looks at her, and he says, Oh my gosh. Oh no. I don't believe it. It was stuck on the inside of the lining of my pocket. Now I remember. The first night when you were washing, you handed me a ring to hold. I put it in my pocket. It got stuck on the inside of the lining. I'm so sorry. I lost your ring. It wasn't you. She says, What? You had the ring all along? You mean I didn't lose the ring? And then she looks at him and says, wait one second. You mean you lost the ring? I didn't lose the ring. And he says, yeah. She says, uh-huh. Okay. Get your mother on the phone right now. Call her and tell her that I didn't lose the ring. You lost the ring. And he calls up his mother. Ma! You don't understand. I'm such an idiot. I don't know how this happened. It was stuck on the inside of the lining. And he was groveling to his mother. That night, his wife walked into the Sherebrachot, 10 feet tall. She didn't need heels that night, ladies. She was walking as tall as tall can walk. And her mother-in-law was in a corner just making believe like, and the mother-in-law went over, listen, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said the things I said. And whatever, you know, slipped out and it was the moment and it was anxiety and it's overwhelming and you know what it is for a mother to marry off a son and he's my favorite son. And, and she says, yes, I, I get it. She just walks away. And now this girl finally got her dignity back and she got her face back in the family. And the boy was so ashamed of himself and he got up that night by the speech and he said, listen everybody, the good news is we found the ring. The bad news is I'm such a fool that was stuck in my lining. I got to ask sorry for my wife, apologize to everybody. Baruch Hashem, it was a happy ending. A happy ending. A year later, after the first year of marriage, this girl decides that, you know, her ring could use a little bit of cleaning. It's a year. So she decided she's going to go back to the jeweler that her husband took her to originally when they were engaged to pick out the ring. And she's going to ask them for a complimentary cleaning, being that she bought the ring there. So she comes into the jeweler and she takes off her ring and says, Hi, you remember me? Oh, yeah, I remember you. And she says, I came, I, I bought my ring, and here's the ring. Could you please clean the ring for me? So he says, Absolutely. He takes the ring and he, he takes one look. And the jeweler looks at the girl and says, uh, this is not my ring. I know I sold you a ring, but this is not the ring I sold you. This is not the company I use for the ring and the band. 
These are not the type of baguettes that I use on the side of the ring. I'm still in the 80s. We're still with baguettes. You know, right. and, and this is not, you know, this is, this is not my stone. I know my stones. This is not my ring. She said, what are you talking about? I was here. I bought it from you. My, my, my hatan a year ago. You probably don't remember. He says, no, no, no. I remember. And I know what I sold you. But it's not it. She says, really? She goes home. And she comes to her husband. And she says, tell me, what happened? And he says, what? My ring. This is not the ring that you engaged me with. And suddenly his face goes white. And he turns to her and he tells her, I couldn't allow that your simha and that people should look at you at the beginning of coming into my family as somebody that was in a way misplacing and not up to be my wife. You're the one, most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And I was going to make sure that you feel like the greatest thing that ever took place in my life. I'm not going to let anybody snare that or take that away. And because of that, I ran out and I begged a jeweler, a friend of mine, to put together the closest replica of a copy of a ring. And I paid for it out of my own pocket, with my own money, just to give you the ring that you yourself wouldn't even be able to know the difference between. And then, on the last night when it was finally ready, I sketched it as if I pulled it out of my pocket, as if I was the one to lose the ring, and not you. And that brought your face back to my mother and my family, and that allowed our simha to be a true simha. Ladies, that's a guy you're looking for. That's a prince of midot. That's not the guy that turns his head on anything that walks by the block. That's a person that worked on themselves. That's a person that has erech. A person that has Torah in them. That they're refined with midot. You want a husband. You want someone who's going to take care of you, make you a queen, and like this will be a king. <laughs> Says Eliezer, look for the zivug. Ask Hashem to bring the two halves together and look for the chesed and the midot and the Torah because that's going to be the zivug, the two halves that will come back together and will enjoy so many more smachot in Klal Yisrael. Amen. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.